What people need to understand a lot is, okay, well, how much of that competition is true competition? And then how much of it is really unsophisticated mom and pop competition that I could really steal some market share from and, and get some strong market penetration from if I do things and deliver the service and the experience at a much better level. Welcome to the I Fired My Boss Franchise Podcast. My name is Dan Claps, founder and CEO of Franchise Playbook, a franchisor platform where we create, own, and operate dynamic franchise brands in the mobile services space. And my life's goal is to help people just like you fire their boss and become a business owner. And I'm Christian Dadalak, top franchise consultant and co-founder of Real Franchising, a leading franchise consulting firm. And together, we're on a mission to help people fire their boss, hire themselves, and live the American dream through franchise ownership. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the I Fired My Boss podcast with Dan Claps and Christian Dadalak. Today, we're super excited to get into a topic around competition. If you're looking at owning a franchise business and there's already businesses in your market, how do you decide if it makes sense, if it's viable to open a franchise in your market? And uh, we're going to be talking about that as well as how to build sales in your market, whether there's competition or not. So uh, without further ado, our co-host, Christian Dadalak, how you doing, man? Doing awesome. I'm pumped for today because it's been a while. I know you and I have both been kind of blowing and going. So it's, uh, you know, some podcasts, it's been just you, some just me. So it's nice for us to be able to uh, spend some time together and get some value out there to the audience. Yeah, it seems like coordinating our calendars lately has been tough. So it's exciting <laughs> to get back together. But I think we're going to get back into the cadence of, sure. of doing this more regularly. Um, the beauty of having a Fellows together is if you can't do one, I do one, and we seem to always be consistent somehow. Absolutely. I'm going to start by you know asking you like what what are you as you know as an advisor like as you talk with candidates about buying a franchise business? I'm sure really there's no business that isn't out there already when it comes to you know a franchise, and I think a lot of people realize they don't need to be the next you know Facebook to be successful. They can be in a business where there already is a proven track record of that industry, and I'd argue it's actually better to be second than to be first when you're getting into a business, and so. My question is like, how do you help people understand that, of course, there's going to be competitors in the space, but how they can identify if that matters within their market? Yeah, I mean, a great question. And it's something that, you know, it's something we'll get pushback from when I'm working with, you know, clients of mine. And I, I completely understand it. You want to make sure that the business is viable in your area. But I think a lot of people, they they come, they assume that just because there's other people in the market that do the business that they're possibly thinking about getting into, they automatically equate that with saturation. If there's, a, if there's competition in the market, that means it's saturated. Like no, like there is such a thing as saturation and maybe you don't want to go up against the competitor that is killing it, has dialed in processes. They have 5,000 five-star reviews and have been in the area for 20 plus years. I mean, maybe that's tough. Doesn't necessarily mean don't do it, but, but that, you know, you want to measure what that looks like in your own local area. And I would just say that, yeah, like you said, a lot of people, they think they need to create the new iPhone. They think they need to create the new Facebook. And I was just listening to a podcast with uh, David Barr, who's a franchise industry legend. You know, Maybe we'll try to get him on the podcast at some point. But he was talking about the same thing. Everyone thinks they need to create a totally new widget. And that's not necessarily true. It's, it's really the execution that matters. At the end of the day, if you have two 
completely similar businesses. They're the same in every respect. But one has a good founder, one leader, great operator, and the other doesn't or they're subpar. Who's ultimately going to win out? Well, the one that has the, the great operator. So I think a lot of people also forget they're the X factor, which we can we can touch on as well. But I think that a lot of people just need to understand that, like you said, it's not bad to have competition. In fact, that's a good thing. It means there's demand in the marketplace. If it's, you know, there are certain franchises out there that maybe they are kind of a first mover and there's advantages to that, but there's also disadvantages right? Like I won't, I won't name the franchise necessarily, but there's a brand out there that do 3D printing, right? Little figurines for, for people. And it's to newer kind of market, not as much competition out there, maybe necessarily. There's some that do it, but maybe it's not quite as proven. And there's more education that's needed as far as educating the customer about the need and the demand for your product as for, as opposed to stable industries. You know, I'll do a plug for you with restoration, for example, that's an industry that is has been around for a long time. You don't need to educate the customer. If their pipe bursts, bathroom floods, they get it, right? They get that that's something that needs to get done. So from the consumer education standpoint, is it something that you need to educate your consumers on? Or is it something they already understand the need for? You don't have to convince them that there's demand. They already understand that there's demand. And then you just need to be able to deliver a better experience to them. And so I think that's the question that people should be asking, not you know, is my is my area it's will this work in my area, but can I deliver the service in a way that's compelling and that's different from the ways that my current competitors in the market are? So that's kind of my my initial take. But what are yours? I think it's great points. Um I think that when it comes to markets, um you know, we think things, we feel things, and we don't use data to make decisions. And to me, using data is what's most important. You can feel like you would people don't use a product or service, or you can feel like there's already franchises or businesses in your market, but you don't know unless you use data. And so I always like people to use data to make decisions. One of the things I also think is fascinating is I remember thinking about there was a time where people were often buying lash businesses, lash type uh, uh you know, lounges or, or facilities where you go and get your lashes done. And someone would say, well, there's no franchise here in my market yet. And what I've come to learn over the years is that is not even something you know, right? If you buy a lash business in Nebraska or in, let's say in, uh, you know, Nashville, Tennessee, and you say there's only two net lash businesses here, you don't know about the five or six other franchise owners who bought five or six other brands who may be bought in neighboring territories and they have a development schedule. That's not public knowledge. And so you don't even know how many businesses are going to be in your area. And so I think that you have to really think about even if there was a hundred businesses in my area with the same product, how does mine stand out? What's the unique selling proposition of mine, whether there's one, five or a hundred, how would I stand out? You know, in the example of restoration, what I love is that you can pull many different levers to get business. It's not a brick and mortar where people have to go to. And if they don't go to, it's only so much you can do, right? With what restoration or painting or roofing, any home service vertical, you can directly control the success of your business by pulling the lever of building local relationships. I don't care if there's a hundred companies in a market, I'm going to go and build better relationships than those. I'm in a crowded space. There's 4,500 franchise opportunities in America at any given time. There's 300 brands that launch a year, 300 that leave like LAX, 300 come and 300 go every day. Actors and models, right? Come in and out. Same thing for franchising. 
less than 3% get to 100 units in under 10 years. There's 4,500 options to choose from and 15,000 territories or so are bought a year. So that represents like a few per brand. And yet Voda is competing with national players that have thousands of locations and massive private equity funds behind them because we've built a better mousetrap. And more importantly, because we built deep, meaningful relationships with the consultants who send us candidates. And even more importantly, with the actual candidates, they notice that, wow, these guys really put a lot of attention to detail, getting to know me through the development process. And the second they're hand out over to operations in the onboarding process and, and ongoing. And so to me, I don't care if 10 more restoration companies pop up tomorrow. They're not going to beat me. That's my mindset, right? And you have to have that mindset if you're going into business, whether you're a franchisor or you're a, uh, you know, a, a franchisee, right? You have to have the mindset. And this last thing I'll say on this is you have to have the mindset that you're going to win, right? And I'm not saying there won't be someone that maybe is bigger than Voda, but hopefully not. But the case is it doesn't matter. I'm going to build a great business for myself, for my franchisees, for my team. And I'm not going to think about the external competition because it doesn't matter. We're just having that conversation. It doesn't matter. Just focus on your business. And, you know, one of my favorite CEOs, Bob Iger of, of Disney, he says, I only was successful, not because he's so smart. Most people in his role went to Harvard or, or top schools. He went to a, not as top of a school, but he's been successful because of his unwavering optimism and because of his, his work ethic. And you can control those things. And so to me, when you get into a franchise business, if you're thinking about all the competition and that's what you're worried about, you probably shouldn't get into business because if you're not going into it with the mindset of, I'm going to absolutely crush it, I'm going to be the best. I know I can control what I can control, which is building relationships. Then then it, it's probably not for you if you're worried too much about competition. Now, of course, you have to look at the competitive landscape and there's tools most franchisors use to do this. But again, if you're really thinking about that too much, it's probably, you know, it's going to happen. And here's one more thing to think about. If you buy a franchise and then two years from now competition pops up, you didn't know about it then, but it's going to come later. There's always these potential threats and external forces, but you can control what you do in a market more than anyone else can. Yeah, it's so true. And I love what you, what you touched on with Bob Iger. Uh, under, when he looks back on his own success, why was I successful? It was never, he's never focusing on external factors. Well, I got lucky because of, XYZ external factor in the marketplace. It's like, no, I mean, yeah, there were always external factors, things that helped us. I'm sure things that hindered us, but ultimately what led to his success were the the internal traits that allowed him to drive the business forward. And I think that there's not enough emphasis put on that because I get it. If you're buying a franchise, you're buying it because you want a proven model, a business that works, a business in a box, it's turnkey. And obviously some franchises are a little bit more turnkey than others, but um but you're, yeah, you're buying, you're buying a, a business and you're buying a franchise, you're buying a model, but it takes two to tango. You need both sides of the equation to really make a great franchise investment to make it work out for you. Yeah, you need to have a great franchise, okay? But you also need to have a great operator. And that's what I think people don't really think about enough. They don't ask themselves enough, okay, yeah, th this brand, let's find out if it's the right fit or not. Let's find out if it's a good franchise or not. But am I the right operator for this franchise? Am I the right operator, period? Am I the right kind of person for franchising or for business ownership more generally? Because you could have an A-plus franchise business, A-plus franchise model. But if you put a C operator in there, you're going to get a B, B-minus, maybe even C-plus result. 
And on the flip side, you can have a C franchise opportunity, but put an A-plus operator in there, and they're going to be able to really make it work, and they're going to be able to build something tremendous, even still, despite the fact that maybe the model is subpar or a little bit mediocre. And so that's really what it comes down to is, am I the right person? Am I the right operator? Plus the right model, that's what's going to equal the franchise success, not just you know, external factors like, is the model good? And then is there all this competition that's out there in the marketplace? And then last thing I'll say as well is, a lot of people, it's like, I think they overestimate. And again, you want to you make sure that you do a proper SWOT analysis and figure out what that landscape looks like, that competitive landscape in your own backyard. But at the same time, like you said, make decisions based on data. And I think a lot of people overestimate how much of that competition is true competition, legitimate competition that actually pose a threat. I think when you really start to dig into it and start doing a little bit of secret shopping, which I recommend to my clients, is like, look, hey, call up the competition as a customer. What does their process look like? Do they call you back? Uh, Do they answer the phone the first time you call them? If you say, hey, I can't schedule an appointment on the phone. Hey, I just had a client walk in the door or my wife just got home or I just got another call I got to take. Do they call you back, right? What does that process look like? Like take yourself through their sales process, maybe become a, a customer or something like that, right? You don't have to do that, but but see what their process looks like. Where are the deficiencies in their, in their system and in, in their model? And does your operational experience, does your background, and does the franchise model have the support infrastructure that's going to allow you to capitalize on that? Because a lot of the competition... In the marketplace, you know, I'm sure a lot of people in the restoration world, they're, where they're like, well, there's already Serve Pro in my area. Okay, well, there's, I would guarantee you that most of the market in your area is not owned by Serve Pro. So a lot of local mom and pop competition that don't have dialed in systems and processes that don't have a lot of sophistication. And so I think that what people need to understand a lot is, okay, well, how much of that competition is true competition? And then how much of it is really unsophisticated mom and pop competition that I could really steal some market share from and get some strong market penetration from if I do things and deliver the service and the experience at a much better level. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Like when I think about, um, there's a great brand, Express Personnel Professionals. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a recruiting franchise. And I remember early into my franchising career, I went to one of their corporate events at a golf course and I got to learn about Express. and what the gentleman that was uh, representing Express told me was, Dan, we look for people like you, people that can get out there and network and build relationships. We handle everything else. And what I've come to realize with Voda is, you know, with, with my brand, like we do so much to make the systems dialed in. We do a lot to do with lead generation. But what I've come to realize is we've made a system where you can go out as a franchise owner, shake hands, build a relationship and have that property manager or plumber or referral person say, oh, you know what? Christian, I'm going to give you the business. And you could go back home knowing that when it comes to the system, we've got you covered. If you can get the business, we've got the system. Now, again, we've got lots of ways to help get business as well. But what I love is that you can, as a franchise owner, shake a property manager's hand and say, trust me, John, you've got to know me and I'm going to give you great service. And you can trust that Voda's operational support 
is going to help you deliver. I'll give you an example. I was talking to a prospective franchise owner and we were talking about lead generation. And I was actually talking about one of our franchise owners, why he's so wildly successful early in is because of him and his wife. They go out, they network, they build a relationship. And if it wasn't them, they would hire a salesperson. But somebody is going out there and they are building relationships. He was able to land a relationship that refers a lot of referrals. And he's able to now service that relationship because we've provided the infrastructure, right? I know for me, I'm doing a lot of friend of myself. And I know the second someone buys a Voda, if they were impressed by the development process, the onboarding process is 10 times better. <laughs> it's more dialed in. And I don't have to worry about that because that's covered with my team. And so I love when people get into a franchise and they go out there and they sell and they locally sell, they locally market, they locally relationship build. And then the franchise will help them do everything else. That's the hard part. The hard part's building those relationships. Um, but if you, you know, you imagine, think about the guy in the truck that could build a great relationship, but then his operations suck because that's hard to build. So most people that are looking at owning a business, so many are sales-driven people that all they got to do is plug into a good system that's going to help them, you know, support operationally. But I just think like, again, in a, in a heavy B2B business, it doesn't matter who's in the market. All that matters is the relationship the referral source has and who they're going to give the business to. And sometimes when there's an established business, they're kind of resting on their laurels a little bit. They're not maybe as hungry. They're not getting out there and you're going to win business by being more aggressive because you've got something to prove. You're the new guy on town. You're the new kid on the block and you're going to win business that way. I love that. And since we're on the topic of lead generation and selling in the local market, I think sometimes something that people get, depending on the business, but sometimes they can get a little bit nervous about is you know, having to rely on other people for other professionals, for referrals, for business. And sometimes they go in with the mindset of, well, gosh, I mean, don't those people already have their strategic partnerships, their referral relationships already set up? How am I going to go in there in the marketplace and earn business? So I'm curious what you think generally, like what are some best practices there to really earn business from referral partners and to stand out from maybe other referral partners they already get? And obviously, you know, you're in the restoration space. So I mean, feel free to, you know, give some examples there. Like how difficult is it? To, to be voted up and then go in there and say, hey, you know, we're the new guy on the block, but we'd love to earn your your business, Mr. Insurance agent, property manager, plumber. And then how do you how do you win that out? How do you win those referrals over, you know, the other people in the market that are doing that? If you'd like our help investing in a franchise at no cost to you, head over to ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a free consultation. Well, I mean, what we teach our franchise owners is to do things that are unsustainable in the beginning, do things that are wild and crazy. So for example, we have our franchise partner. He's been cleaning property managers, the relationships, houses that he met for free. He's cleaning their floors. Let me clean your floor. Show how great of a job we could do for free. And he's maybe losing money, but he's building a relationship. Um, you know, we have franchise owners that, you know, um, one of the things I learned in restoration specifically is when you get a referral from an insurance agent, one of the nice little tricks is you go to the home when the job is done, when the restoration job is done, 
and you bring a gift basket. Let's say the insurance agent is Dave, Dave, the insurance agent. You go to the homeowner. I say, Christian, you know, whoever your wife is, Christian's wife in this hypothetical, um, you know, how do you guys like the service? Everything good? Yeah, I'm so sorry that your house flooded, but everything's nice and dry. You're all taken care of and you don't have to go on with your, your wife. And by the way, Dave, your insurance agent who referred me, he wanted me to drop off this gift basket that he, he, he uh, prepared for you. So I, I brought this on his behalf. And, and and the basket's got his card and a bunch of knickknacks. That insurance agent's going to get a call from that homeowner. And that homeowner's going to say, Dave, thanks so much for that gift basket. You know, and for referring us to voter, they did a great job. We love you. And guess what? When it comes to insurance time, we're going to rewrite our policy with you. Dave is blown away. He had no idea about the gift basket, right? Because we did that. But we made that insurance partner look great. Those little nuances, you can't replace the local personal relationship that you're building in that way. Um, that's one example. Another is like, just one more is like, we get a lot of business from, again, I don't mean to make this about Voda, but just I'm using it as subject matter. Um, we get a lot of business from plumbers. And so plumbers, right, are notoriously like not paid quickly and efficiently by restoration companies. So I say, Christian, the plumber, give me work and I'll pay you. And then I forget to pay you. I don't send the check. It's disorganized, right? And instead we say, give us the work. You're going to get a check right in your mailbox or direct deposited. Here's a flat rate that you're going to get. And by the way, I'm going to pay you when we get the work, not when we get paid, right? Because I can afford the $500 payment to you now as my lead acquisition because I just got a job from you. And I pay quickly because it's free to pay quickly, right? It's free to do that. And so we do things like that, those little nuances where that plumber starts to say, you know what? Why would I give my business to a competitor? These guys take great care of me. And that's the same for any business you're in, whether it's plumbing, roofing, painting, restoration, or a gym. That's all the same is it's all about the relationships. Man, I love that. And I and don't don't at all feel bad about talking about Voda because that's the the life you're living right now. And you know, so but I think everything you just said is applicable to all kinds of other businesses. I mean, even brick and mortar, right? If you're going out there and I would be forming relationships with other similarly related businesses. Like if I, if I have, I don't know, like, and maybe this isn't a good example because I'm not in that space, but if I'm like a, uh, you know, a, a massage business or if I'm like a, you know, LED light therapy kind of business or some kind of health and wellness business for, or like I do a cryotherapy or something like that, I'm going to go and introduce myself to all the local gyms. We're going to cross promote each other. And I'm going to give, 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 and just try to make them look good, make them look great. I'm going to make them a part of, you know, pitching their services, a part of my sales process, maybe. I don't know. Again, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. But what I'm saying is boots on the ground, in the market, a lot of those nuances that you mentioned, I mean, well, first and foremost, that's why you buy a franchise. Some of the things you said, just those subtle things that, you know, you might think, oh, well, I could get into that business and what do I need a franchise for? But then you start, you go a, a layer deeper and you're like, wow, I didn't realize that there's a big challenge in the market where plumbers are not getting paid on time by restoration companies. It's a, it's a problem, right? And so these little things, if you could solve that issue and, and, and make a, the experience better for the plumber who referred you and so they can get paid better, of course, they're going to, they're going to go with you, right? If, it, if that's a huge issue. And so those are, but those are things you wouldn't know about if you, don't already have, you know, years and years and years of background in restoration. So, but that's what I'm saying. When you're willing to do things that are 
aggressive, which because you just started your business, you're able to, and you don't have to do that forever. It's funny. I had a, someone on your team mention to me, it's amazing how I do some friend dev and the personal touch and he knows that eventually they'll go away. And it's true. Obviously I can't do that forever, but I can right now and I can win business that way. Um, and then I can, I can move on. And as a manager, be able to say to my team, I did this myself for six months or a year, right? We're coming up on a year. Nothing can replace that. You know, if, if I owned a, a home services business uh, and I could go to a referral partner and all I could ask as an entrepreneur is, hey, I know you're, you got a provider. What are they not doing? What are they not doing as well? As, as Maybe I could speak right away. I'm not here to learn your business. I'm here just to learn. Do you mind if I just listen to you for 10 minutes about what, what are some gaps in the, in the service offering right now? That's what, you know, entrepreneurs that are really smart do. You don't have to do that. We figured that out as a franchise system, but we've figured out ways to get to a property manager. And for, for example, more flexible SLAs, which service level agreements, we can provide a better service, right? It's the little nuances that make a difference. Um, and I always tell this story. I was using a realtor to list my, my house and, um, I gave them a uh, key to come and show my house anytime. And I said, hey, just do me a favor. I'm on work calls often. So just give me a 15-minute window or give me a call ahead of time. And all of a sudden, I'm uh, getting bombarded with someone who comes to my house with the key, which I uh, thought was a little strange. They came in, they're yelling and talking, and I'm on a work call. And I said, you know, you have to leave. I can't have you come here right now I'm in the middle of a work call. I thought you were going to give me notice. And so I quickly switched to another realtor. And what I thought was interesting was all I needed them to do was follow a simple SLA service level agreement, meaning an agreement with the realtor and I, which I think is a fair request. And that realtor may not even realize why I moved on, but it was for that small nuance, which matters. I see the same thing with, with home services. For example, when a property manager tells you, hey, my client, the dentist's office, needs you to go around the back instead of through the front, and you need to wear you know, booties on your shoes and you don't do that. Well, what happens is the property manager doesn't call up and say, Hey, you guys went through the front, by the way, they don't call you. They don't tell you. They just get the call from their customer says, what the hell is going on? These guys are going through the front door. The property manager hangs up the phone and he doesn't call you back as a restaurant. He just, well, what happened to John? He didn't tell you why. You're just not doing a good job and you're out, right? I think the same thing with, with what we do with people looking at franchises. If my team does something that isn't done right, like you as a consultant, you just won't send us candidates anymore. Sometimes you'll give us the respect to telling us. A lot of times, if it's a lack of care for you, you'll just move on. And that's, I don't blame you. And so when it comes to business, it's those little nuances that make all the difference. And I think Sorry, I'm kind of rambling, but when you're a new franchise, your your winning advantage is that you just care more. You just care more about winning business than that, you know, other company that's been there for three, four, five years. They've maybe started to sit sit back a bit more. Man, that it, that's so good, and it's so true because I love that, and I'm going to have that conversation more with um, just well myself and just people I, I work with, but. I love the idea that, you know, in the beginning, you can do things that are a little bit more unreasonable. Sure, they're not sustainable, but that can give you that immediate edge in the marketplace. And I think that's, I think that's awesome. I love the idea of interviewing people as well, interviewing potential strategic partners and just saying, look, I'm not even, of course, I'd love to earn your business, but I'm not here for that reason. I just like to learn where are the gaps with the competition out there. And I would say, and I, I often tell people this up front in my, in my process as well, my clients, I say, look, if you're thinking about buying this franchise, 
and you have a concern like, gosh, how receptive are potential referral partners going to be with me? Well, then before you buy, go ask them. Say, hey, I'm not here to sell anything, right? I'm, I'm not even in this business yet, but I'm thinking about possibly getting into the restoration industry through this franchise. And do you mind if I just ask you a few questions and see what are the gaps in the other with the other service providers? What are they not doing well? Like you mentioned, what are they not doing well? What could they do better? And then, then you have some data to go back and say, whoa, I just heard from 10 different property managers. Here is where there are issues. And then go back to the franchise and kind of see operationally, do they have the potential to help you fill those gaps? And are you as the operator willing to do what you need to do to fill those gaps? And then now you're like, well, crap, I actually think this business can work, even though there's quote unquote competition in my market. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. Like I was having this conversation over the weekend with our COO and co-founder, Zach Nolte. And I was saying how, you know, the best thing you could do as a franchisor is drowned in as a franchisee or for a franchisee is for them to drown in business. Everyone can put up with being busy if they're getting business. When someone isn't getting business, they start to turn their external, they start to turn their focus on the things. Unfortunately, it's just human nature. When you're not getting business, most people turn their attention to the things that they cannot control instead of the things that they can. Meaning, if you're not getting it, if you're getting lots of business, you just focus on the business, you're doing business, you're busy, and you don't care about anything else. When you're not getting business, instead of, and this is just human nature, it's not the right way to go, but it is the way people normally go, they default to, is when they're not getting business, they start to focus on the CRM and the, the project management tool and the market and the competition instead of things they can control, which is getting out there and building relationships, which lead to more, more business. And so... One of the things that I think is interesting is we do everything we possibly can to help franchise owners get into the door of a home. But after that, it's on you. I'll give you a great example. I sold Kirby vacuum cleaners when I was 18 years old. It's freaking hard. And I would go to a house and I would clean their floor. And then ironically, and then I would try to sell them a vacuum. And if they didn't want the vacuum, they still had the obligation to clean their floor. And so I would clean their you know, steam cleaning. Um, and one of the things Kirby taught me was the power of who do you know? So you'd go to someone's house with a piece of paper, 10, 10 names on the paper, or excuse me, 10 spaces on the paper. And I, would, now I wouldn't say, hey, Christian, thanks for letting me clean your floor and buying a Kirby. Do you know anyone that could use a Kirby? No. I would say, hey, who do you know? Who do you know that could use a Kirby? And they would, because I'd say, who do you know? They would take a pen and they'd write down, oh, my brother, John and Tim and Mike and my next door neighbor. I think they got dirty floors. They're just there on Sunday. They had dirty floors, I noticed, at dinner. And um, they would give me a list of 10 people. And then I'd go back in my car and I would call and I'd say, hey, John, this is Dan. I just cleaned your neighbor house, uh, Tim's house. Um, you know, he asked me to give you a call. I'm sure your floors are immaculate, but I was wondering if I could stop by. Do you think the chances of me getting that guy to let me clean his floors was high or low? High, I mean, for just for a free service, right? Yeah, it was high. And I would get so much business from one, you know, opportunity. And so what we always try to tell our franchise owners, go clean those floors and then ask, who do you know? And obviously you don't want to be pushy. You have to have done a great job, right? You got to be able to first, you know, they got to be happy. But then you say, who do you know? And I just find that so many franchisees, they, they focus on, getting an appointment, going and doing the job, leaving. And all the business was right there at the end. The maximization was right there at the end. The hard part is the, is the 
Who do you know? And you get a piece of paper. But once you get that, every job is now worth maybe five jobs or three jobs or even just one. Every job is worth one more quality referral. And if you do two jobs in a day, well, now you're actually going to do four tomorrow, right? Or two more tomorrow. And it's a snowballing effect. But so many franchise brands don't teach, you know, maximizing the sale when you get into the home. And, you know, I just think that it's, it's so important. Don't just focus on getting new business, focus on getting business from who you did business with. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, man. And, and just, I know we're kind of at the half hour mark here, so we'll kind of start to wrap up, but even for me as a, as a franchise advisor, you know, I, not everybody's meant to become a franchisee and, or maybe we couldn't identify a brand right now that really matched their criteria, what they're looking for, their skill set, their passions, their background. But maybe, maybe down the road is a good fit and we can find something else. But I make a point of letting everybody know that's, that's been involved in my process in any way. Hey, not a problem. I'm never going to pressure anybody. But if now's not the right time, that's perfectly awesome. And it'd be silly of me not to at least mention to you, you know, we have a referral program, not that that would matter to you, but, um, but if you ever know anyone else, you know, who do you know? Ask, yeah, not do you know, because you know someone, but who do you know? Who do you know that? And then give a tagline, like, who do you know that hates their job? Who do you know that is not loving their business, looking for a way out? Who do you know that's looking for something to uh, bolt onto their existing operation that could um, accelerate the way that they're doing things now and, and add uh, to their revenue stream in a way that they couldn't if they just continue to scale their business at a marginal level every year? But so just making that simple ask is so right. And I think that that's just a tremendous way to uh, stand out in the competition out there and maximize the value. And again, that just comes down to being a great operator. So I think that's awesome. Anything that you wanted to, to say before we kind of wrap up here, Dan? Um, no, I think this was a great episode. I, I miss uh, doing these more regularly. So we got to get something scheduled. But uh, thanks again for for tuning in. And uh, we'll be coming out soon with another, another episode uh, on probably on more franchisee-focused topics like this one. Absolutely. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to mention as well, I mean, if you guys have, if there are topics you'd like to hear in 2024, you know, shoot us an email at info at fire, ifiredmybosspodcast.com. Again, info at ifiredmybosspodcast.com. We'd love to get some insight into what topics you'd like to learn more about in 2024. And if you're interested in coming on as a guest, I mean, we have to make sure it's the right fit for the audience, but um, but reach out to us and we'll, and we'll, we'll see if it's a good fit. And um you know, and try to kind of put together a calendar for 2024. But um, other than that, I hope you guys uh, got some great value out of this episode. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode of the I Fired My Boss Franchise Podcast. Take care. You're f***ing fired. If you want to say those words to your boss, make sure you head on over to ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a no-cost consultation. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend who might also want to fire their boss. 